Welcome to a Pulp Event Podcast, brought to you by the Pulp.net, your link to the online world of the Pulp magazines, since 1996, online at thepulp.net. This Pulp Event Podcast features a panel discussion titled Unknown, The Best in Fantasy Fiction. Participating are Walker Martin, Dr. Tom Krabaker, and Dr. Garen Roberts. The talk was recorded on Saturday, August 9th, 2014, at Pulp Fest 2014 in Columbus, Ohio. Here is Walker. When I was a teenager in the 50s, I was collecting back issues of astounding science fiction, and one thing I noticed in all the post-war issues is uh, quite a few letters, and they all said the same thing. When is Unknown going to be revived? When are we getting Unknown back? And I once counted up the letters, and I, and I have a book here where uh, there's over a dozen uh, uh, letters from fans uh, from about 1944 through 48, and they're all asking about Unknown. And John Campbell, the editor of Astounding, always said the same thing. Unknown lacks paper, and we have to wait until the paper comes through. So uh, it never did come through. In fact, in 1948, the decision was made to kill the, uh, the Street and Smith pulp line, and uh, the only magazine, magazine to survive happened to be Astounding. So even though Unknown published an annual, which they were hoping would sell well, it, I guess it didn't sell that well, and the magazine never was revived. Well, I then made the decision to go ahead and start collecting this magazine. And at the time, in the 50s and 60s, you could buy just about any pulp for a buck. There was a few that cost more than that, maybe, but for the most part, it was a dollar or less. So I put out the word that I was willing to pay $50 for a set of unknown, uh, 39 issues, so I came to more than a buck an issue, and that's basically what most people were paying back in the 50s and 60s. Well, I sent out quite a few letters, and including a letter to the Werworth Bookshop in Pennsylvania, run by Bob Michael. Now, the funny thing about the Woolworth Bookshop, uh, you might remember they had ads in all the Digest science fiction magazines in the late 50s, early 60s. The funny thing about this bookstore is often you would send your money in, and if he didn't have what you ordered, he would just pick out something else and send it to you. <laughs> so, so the guy developed this horrible reputation that I was not aware of. You know? <laughs> Well, he sent, I, I sent him a letter saying, I'll pay $50 for a set of unknown, and this is what he replied. I kept this letter and stapled it into my unknown book here, and it says, uh, it's dated September 1963, Dear Mr. Martin, one fan just wrote in the margin of my letter, was I kidding? One said he paid well over $100 for his unknowns over 15 years ago. And the third and last fan I know has a set, and he'd be willing to sell it $5 an issue. Plus, you'd have to pay the postage. So in other words, he wanted $200. He goes on to say, if you send $200, then you can have the set. Well, in 1963, that was outrageous. You know, I wasn't going to pay that money. I couldn't pay that money. I was in college at the time, and I simply didn't have the money. Fortunately, Jerry DeLarie, who was a longtime science fiction fan, and uh, for decades put out uh, lists selling things. He sold me a set soon after this Bob Michael letter from the Werworth Bookshop. 
He sold me a set for 50 bucks. So I did manage to get that set. And over the years, I must have had half a dozen sets, always upgrading the set until finally I had a set, I would say, is like in fine condition of, of loose uh, 39 issues. And I was happy with that for many years. A few years ago at PulpCon, I saw Chuck Miller. He had a nice bound set of unknown. Uh, it's really beautiful looking. And I thought, well, why not buy that also? Then I'd have a, a set of the loose issues, plus I'd have a bound set. Well, when I got home, I made an amazing discovery that made this magazine, this issue, probably the most valuable thing that I have in my collection. And I've had thousands of pulps and thousands of books. And the thing I saw in this was the following inscription. By the way, anybody, any of you who really know me know that I never wrap anything up. So when I wrap something up, it's got to be valuable because I never put a plastic on anything. Okay, inside as it says, to George Skivers, and he was uh, editor of uh, uh, Asimov's uh, magazine in the 1970s. It says to George Skivers, who really worked for this volume, John Campbell. Now, I know what what he means when he, when he says really worked for it, because there's been sets that I've worked years to get from other collectors. So this was John Campbell's personal set, not the file copy set, which would be all tattered, you know, the one that Street and Smith used as a file copy set. That wouldn't look beautiful like this, you know. This is Campbell's personal set, and I think this, instead of making it just worth hundreds of dollars, this set's now worth thousands of dollars, as far as I'm concerned, because of Campbell's inscription. Uh, concerning favorite stories, I would say my favorite story, and I'm not an L. Ron Hubbard fan, but my favorite story in Unknown is Fear. It's a psychological novel of suspense. Uh, it was uh, written before Hubbard became crazy and went into Scientology. <laughs> In addition to Fear, I would say Death's Deputy. I like that a lot. That's also by Hubbard. And uh, L. Sprague de Camp wrote a great novel, Less Darkness Fall. And I also like uh, de Camp's uh, Howard Shea stories. They're, they're, I found them uh, very funny. Another novel I liked was Hell is Forever by Alfred Bester. Everybody, of course, will have their own favorites. But this is one of the few magazines I've read every issue and every story. In 1963, I started from the first issue in the first story and read right through in order to the final issue in 1943. And that final issue actually announced that the next issue of Unknown would be in digest size because of the paper restrictions. They had to cut down the size like astounding. It'd be in digest. It never happened. During the time that announcement was made in the last issue, they evidently made the decision to kill the magazine. And uh, Unknown's probably the, the magazine most missed by all pulp collectors. We all, we all wish it, it had been revived. Okay, let me jump in with my personal story about finding Unknown, and it's nowhere near as interesting as Walker's. But I started collecting pulps in a significant, serious way in June of 1970 at a Midwest con, where I bought my first two pulp magazines from Rusty Havlin. And they were issues of astounding. And they were 
parts one and two of At the Mountains of Madness, the February and March 1936 issues. And my goal then was to start collecting astounding. I was familiar with the Alva Rogers book and so forth. And the moment I started doing that, friends would say, no, 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 not astounding. You need to start collecting unknown. Or unknown is even better, I think, is a better way to put it. So gradually over time, I started collecting unknown. And it became the first magazine that I had a complete run of. The fact that there are only 39 issues made that easy. But at the time, Unknown was a fairly pricey magazine. Uh, Walker's stories were not out of line because when you tried to buy them, uh, you were always paying a little bit more than you were paying for, say, equivalent Street and Smith magazines. But I found, you know, it was justified, it was worth it because. One of the strengths that I found in Unknown was, and I've read through the series as I got them, and I reread this whole uh, run of the magazines over the past couple years. One of the strengths, I think, was the consistent quality of the stories. Uh, people talk about great magazines, and the other great fantasy magazine, of course, people talk about is Weird Tales. Uh, especially during the Farnsworth years. Now, people have differing opinions about Farnsworth's effectiveness as an editor, but it's considered great because it had people like Lovecraft and Howard and Clark Ashton Smith in it. But the other thing that at least I found that uh, Weird Tales had in it, and I was talking about this with Morgan Holmes this afternoon, is an awful lot of junk to fill those issues. And the interesting thing about Unknown is, to my knowledge, I never ran across any junk in it. There were certainly better stories, and there were stories that were so-so, but there was never a story, at least I can recall, where I felt I was wasting my time reading it. And I think that's one of the key characteristics of the magazine, is that it had an overall quality to it that is just surprising for any fiction magazine, no matter what the quality was as well. Uh, to talk a little bit about the magazine itself, one of the interesting things about it, and I made some quick notes, is to uh, take a look at who the authors were. Um, a lot of them were people that followed Campbell over from Astounding, in fact, the uh, story about how Unknown got uh, the kickoff was that Campbell received a manuscript from Eric Frank Russell for a novel, Sinister Barrier, which uh, Campbell felt was not quite suited for Astounding, but was more suited for this new fantasy magazine he had in mind. So in effect, it was an Astounding writer coming over to Unknown. But he was followed by people like uh, Robert Block, Donald Wandry, Frank Belknap Long, Robert Heinlein, uh, Alfred Bester, uh, Malcolm Jameson. There were a lot of astounding people that came over. But he also, and this was interest, uh, I found fascinating, was he also brought over a lot of the Weird Tales writers. But not all of them. Uh, people like Donald Wandry and Long came. But people like, well, Seabury Quinn and August Derelitz, for example, did not. Because he was bringing over writers that were, had a greater flexibility, I think, that could approach. And I'm sure we're going to talk about what made for uh, 
what, what the unknown story's flavor was like, what was the character of the magazine in the minute. But he was bringing over people that had a flexibility in their writing style and that could accommodate lots of uh, different approaches. Uh, just a quick rundown of the writers who appeared in the thir uh, those 39 issues. I just do this because I went through the effort of doing the count. Uh, I had nothing else to do with my time. My life is empty. Uh, but uh, the most popular writer, or, excuse me, the writer who appeared most frequently was Theodore Sturgeon with 16 stories and 39 issues. Uh, DeCamp had 15 stories, or excuse me, he appeared in 15 issues. Some of the uh, stories were sped out. Hubbard in 13, Malcolm Jameson in 12, Cleve Cartmill, 11, Jane Rice, who was a writer that, at least in my mind, I only think of in terms of uh, unknown, was in with 11. Uh, Fritz Leiber was there with nine. And then other writers like Heinlein would appear, uh, and others would appear one or two times. Uh, favorite stories, my favorite unknown story, uh, I think without a doubt, and in many ways, I think it's a story that captures the John Campbell philosophy of stories as conjure wife. Uh, most people are familiar with the story. It's set in a small college. Liber based it on his own experience teaching at Occidental College, which is near Pasadena in California. Um, a professor of sociology, but really anthropology, at least if you look at what he does who is uh, a debunker of superstitions and has staked his reputation, his career on that, finds out his wife is a practitioner of witchcraft. He persuades her that it's all bunk, so she stops practicing, and then life starts to go to hell because it turns out that the wives of all the other faculty members are practicing witchcraft, mainly to promote their husbands' careers. Now, the reason I think that this is the ideal Campbell story is it captures the two themes I think that Campbell liked in his fiction. The first is the rational man examining things rationally, uh, looking for rational explanations for everything. And that's the first half of the story. But then about midway through, the that changes completely when uh, the, the main male character, uh, Nor a guy named Norman Saylor, realizes that, oh yeah, this is probably true. We have to do something about it. Then the story switches to the second thing that Campbell liked, which was the problem and finding the solution, the problem-solution story. So we go then to, all right, there are people out here practicing witchcraft. I'm now a believer in witchcraft. Let's figure out how we can make it work for us. And to me, that captures not just the flavor of unknown, but it captures, in many ways, Campbell's editorial philosophy as well. And I've talked too long. Galen. Gary, sorry. You're doing great, uh, Tom. Um, I was just trying to figure out what the fantasy was in Conjure Wife, because as faculty members, we know that indeed what our wives do. But, but you know we're not allowed to talk about it. Oh, OK, it. OK. <laughs> yeah. This is, uh, as, as Walker has said, and, and, and I just as soon listen, so I'm not going to talk too much, but we mentioned last night with the Astounding panel that at this time, in the late 30s, early 40s, an Astounding and Unknown for, uh, at the same time, Unknown being the counterpart to Astounding, um, the percentage of high-quality stories was wonderful. Uh, 80, 90 plus percent of every issue 
was good. It was, was very, very good. And uh, Walker and, and Tom have identified some wonderful authors and, and, and Fritz Lieber and, and Ted Sturgeon and Cleve Cartmill and this Jane Rice who I have never seen anywhere else but in, in Unknown and in later Unknown Worlds. A couple others I'd add uh, were Henry Kuttner with a story called Unknown There Was. Uh, Tom mentioned our, our late friend, uh, who was a great friend of the pulp community, uh, Robert Block with the story The Cloak. Uh, Bob is, was one of my three favorite pulp authors of all time, Bob Locke, accompanied by Fred Brown, who also appeared in Unknown, uh, another one of my very uh, favorite authors. Norval Page had two fantasy novels in there, and you know Norval Page from Weird Menace, Spider Stuff, all that kind of thing. And Raymond Chandler even had an original story in Unknown Worlds. Um, the first issue, as Tom mentioned, featured Sinister Barrier by the very, very talented English writer, uh, Eric Frank Russell, wonderful story. And um, I'd, I'd like to tell you an Ed Carter story, which is, is, is really fun for me personally. Ed, of course, was one of the internal and external illustrators for the pulp. The pulp appeared both in regular format and in bedsheet size. If you look at your pulpster, you'll see an Ed Carter original from Unknown Worlds, Unknown, um, on the cover of your pulpster, and it's a wonderful picture. Well, Ed was known, of course, for his really great work doing interior art for the Shadow magazine. And I've always been kind of partial to Ed's work, and if the guy didn't endear me to him before, he did it about 10 years ago when I had a personal interaction with him. Um, Ed at the time, I believe, was, was quite old. I think he was even in his late 80s, early 90s. He's been gone now for probably a half dozen years, if my math is correct. And I was doing a book called The Prentice Hall Anthology of Science Fiction and Fantasy. Very successful, wonderful book. Lousy editor, but great stories in it. Me being the editor. Um, <laughs> And we had some original plates in there. I had this wonderful editor out in, in uh, Upper Saddle River, New Jersey, across the river from New York City. And Carrie and I worked on this book, and, and uh, it was a wonderful project. But I wanted some color plates in the book, and I wanted an unknown cover, a color cover in my book. And Carrie said, Carrie was great. She said, it's all great. It's all wonderful. She said, Will get the copyright people on it. I know people, they'll get a hold of it and they'll get permission, we'll pay the whatever it is, $1,500 for the permission for that, for that paint, a, a picture you want. Which one do you want? Well, I wanted the picture from, the best from Unknown Worlds, the sort of anthology oversized thing, much in the style of a shadow annual. She said, okay, fine, we'll get it for you. So, lo and behold, the agents contacted Ed himself and they said, we'd like to reprint you. What do you want for the picture? Well, Ed says, I'll tell you what, he says, my son will drive me right down, I'll bring the original painting. He brought the original painting, and like three other authors in the book, he said, I like this project, I like this guy who's doing the book, he says, no charge for the painting. So, I've always loved Ed Carter and, 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 uh, <laughs> and, and the unknown stories, but that's enough for me. I want to hear from Walker and Tom some more here. Okay, the question has come up, you know, what made Unknown different from Weird Tales, for instance? What made it a quality magazine? 
Well, in the second issue, Campbell had a very interesting editorial in which he spends the whole page talking about what he would like Unknown to be. And one thing he did not want, he said it would not be a ghost story magazine, it would not have the zombies and the vampires, it would not have the usual thing like, uh, had I but known what terrible events was going to happen, you know, it'd be nothing like that. Campbell wanted Unknown to, to have special, unusual stories with some humor, and that certainly is what the magazine captured, with like the Howard Shea stories by Elspreg de Camp. You know, they were, I, I think they're very funny stories, a lot of comedy in them. Uh, uh, Henry Kuttner wrote quite a few stories that were very unusual and, and maybe his first quality fiction, really, when you look at what he did for Unknown. Uh, in 1963, when I first read through Unknown, from first issue to last, I kept my notes in a book and I got all the issues, comments on all the stories, you know, this was 51 years ago, what I thought of, of, of the magazine, so I'm a completely different person now. But I did reread some of the stories, and I have to admit, they held up to a rereading. So this is just not some stupid kid writing and thinking every story in Unknown is an A or a B. I, re I've, I read quite a few stories recently just, just thinking about the magazine, and it is still a great magazine. There's so many great stories in it. And it's a magazine that you can still find and buy without going broke. I think every science fiction fan saved his unknowns. I don't think any of them threw them away. There's so many sets out there. I've had half a dozen sets myself. It's not a rare magazine. Everybody seemed to save it. It may not have had a big circulation, but there's a lot of issues of unknown out there. I saw quite a few in the dealer's room many of them priced at like $10 or something, you know. So it's out there. And if you really want to read the best fantasy fiction, you know, for 39 issues of Unknown, really, or really or is a great magazine. And I recommend it highly. Actually, Walker just made a point I was going to make. Um, go out to the dealer's room. They're all over the place. Uh, Obviously, because the unknown is a focus of the uh, convention this year, uh, dealers brought it, but the prices are relatively inexpensive, 20 or 25 bucks. The Hubbard issues, if they're in good shape, maybe go a little more. But compared to collecting some of the character pulps, trying to get an Operator 5, for example, it's a really good deal, and the quality of the story as much as I hate to say it, is much better than a lot of what you'll find in mag I'm not naming names. A lot of what you'll find in magazines you'll be paying a whole lot more for. Uh, I think, Ed, uh, since uh, Garen mentioned Ed Cartier, uh, in many ways, probably was the perfect author for our unknown because he, or artist for unknown, because he captured the mix of uh, the mixed flavor that uh, characterized the magazine in so many ways, and that there was uh, there was suspense and there was creepiness to it, but at the same time there was the humor. So you have some of the, his covers are really dramatic and kind of eerie looking, like my T-shirt cover, uh, which is for but without horns, a uh, Norval Page story. And at the same time, his interior illustrations have a delightful whimsy to him that characterizes work for the shadow, but also uh, catch the flavor of the humor that goes along as well. So 
in many ways, the magazine is good not just to read, but simply look at uh, Cartier's illustration. It uh, strikes me there, Tom, as you're talking about uh, Norval Page, that here he is, this very prolific, successful 1930s writer who was not part of the Street and Smith uh, stable for the most part. But is it possible that he couldn't find any other outlet than unknown? It was such a great magazine that he, he didn't write for Street and Smith very often, as far as I know. And here he goes over to write for the competitor because of how good Unknown was. Yeah, it's true. Uh, he wrote three stories. Uh, they were all short. Uh, well, they called them novels, but they were all relatively short by true novel length. They were maybe 40,000 words each. Two of them were early attempts at sword and sorcery, featuring a character called Prester John, which was set in an actual historical period, but moved to Central Asia so you could have all sorts of weird things happening uh, without conflicting with most people's understanding of history. And to be honest, they're only so-so. But he did write the story, uh, But Without Horns, which is a story about a Superman type of character who is a villain trying to essentially take control of the United States and then later the world, which is a story that again and again in his letters on into the 50s and early 60s to people like Clifford Simak and Frank Herbert, Campbell cited as one of the great examples of writing a story about this, a Superman character. And by that means a, a character with far greater mental ability than any normal human being had. And Campbell always held that you couldn't really do that because it's impossible for a person to convey or imagine what the thinking of some being of superior mentality would be like. And Campbell argued that there were two, only two ways you could approach it. One is where a person who at least starts out thinking they're normal gradually recognizes their superiority, so you follow their development. And he cited Slan as an example of that. But the other, is where you never see the Superman or the superior being at all. That character is only seen through the interactions he or she has on other people. And the great thing about But Without Horns is that the superior being, the villain, never appears in the story at all. It's all dealt with uh, by characters interacting either with him off stage or people dealing with characters who have been in her, uh, interacted with him. Now having said that, it also has the normal page style. It's fast paced, it's going in all directions, it ends abruptly. Uh, when you think about it at the end, the logic doesn't all, always hold together. But nonetheless, as a read, as you're reading it, it's a fantastic example of this type of fiction. Okay. All right, in closing, uh, there was a, uh, an editorial uh, comment in the February 1944 Astounding where Campbell talks about what killed unknown. And if I can quote him, uh, this is from February 1944. Uh, ye Ed, ye Ed is doing no more prophesying for the duration. Astounding and unknown may reappear in large sites after the war, but don't quote me. At present, paper is so tight and gets tighter so suddenly that the October Unknown carries an editorial about the new small size unknown, but after that issue was printed, our paper was cut again. Sorry, there won't be any new unknown for the duration. 
and sadly, there was never a, a new unknown at all. Rest in peace, unknown worlds. You've been listening to a Pulp Event Podcast, brought to you by the PulpNet, when your next adventure was just a dime away. Please visit us online at thepulp.net. Thank you for listening, and keep reading the pulps.